everyone. Welcome to this episode of Customer Data Perspectives. I am Isaac Sokol, the president of Star CIO. Really happy to have Dale Tuck here with me today. Dale is the CIO at Primerica and a good friend of mine. How's it going, Dale? Hey, Isaac, it's going fantastic. And uh, thanks so much for having, having me and uh, allowing me to share some of my perspectives on customer data. You're the chief information and technology officer. Wow, you got the longer title that I didn't actually read off properly. Exactly. And now we've been on stage together. We've had lots of conversations around data and analytics. You've had roles at Brambles, at Applied AI. You've worked in CRMs and lots of different data technologies. Uh, give everybody the two minute background of Dale Tuck from that lens of managing all this data for these different sure. companies. And I will mention, Isaac, when you take the word CIO and you make it CITO, what that really means is you're also the guy that they call on when the projector doesn't work. So that's where <laughs> the T comes from. Yeah, so a very varied background. I started out in the supply chain space uh, with a global uh, supply chain services company, Bramble, which you mentioned a moment ago. And as you can imagine, uh, the, the clients that we served out there, uh, they had tons of data. And as a supply chain organization, that data was relevant to, to us and the data we had was re relevant to them. So uh, uh, the, the invariable mountain of data that what, what are we going to do with it? A little bit later in my career, I launched Atlanta Applied Artificial Intelligence. And actually part of the reason that Atlanta Applied AI was born as a nonprofit was actually to help with the adoption of artificial intelligence in, in, in Atlanta, which is where, where I live and, uh, you know, really love living. Um, and again, there you started, or I started to get to exposure to the fact that there is lots of data, but there's not as much usable data as people might uh, suspect. So the goal of Atlanta AI was really, really to raise the awareness of what was going on and how could Atlanta businesses really take advantage of this. Uh, ironically, I got pulled out of Atlanta, I spent some time with Rocketdyne and Pratt and & Whitney and other companies, but it didn't really materialize. But, but the messaging and the learning um, were still there. And then more recently, moving into financial services, uh, that's been a real eye opener for me because, uh, you know, the, the, the background of supply chain information, then artificial intelligence, and now seeing the myriad of transactions and requirements around managing data within a financial service industry has really given me a good expect, uh, perspective on not, not how we use data, but how should we use data? What are some of the things that are well articulated a data program specifically around customers because we all want to grow our business right what mm -hmm. that can do to accelerate the growth um, and possibly even the profitability of an organization you know I, what i love about your answer dale is you're talking about profitability and growth and so much of what mm -hmm. i do is in the transformation space and i remind everybody there's a lot of what we have to do just for compliance there's a lot of what we have to do to improve quality or efficiency but if you're going to do and go after some of the hard things, if you're really going to go into artificial intelligence or machine learning, you got to have growth and customer at the top of the funnel, because ultimately, you know, this stuff isn't easy. I mean, you're one of the people I learned from watching this podcast, this webinar. Dale is one of the people I learned the most from around data and analytics. He's worked at some of the biggest companies at some of the biggest challenges. So Dale, let's, let's put some bookends or, you know, what's the yeah. easy stuff? that people should know how to do today, particularly around customer data, and maybe what's some of the hard stuff that's, you know, the vendors have been advertising for 10, 15 years, but it's still really hard to do. Yeah, so uh, I think the easy part of data is it's very easy to ignore it. 
<laughs> and that's what a lot of people do. The, the best analogy I can come up with data, it, it's kind of the same as building a house. You know, when, when you, if you build a house, you want all your bricks to be neatly lined up. And, and as you're building that wall, you want the brick to be available. And, and bricks are like data. Sadly, a lot of organizations today, the bricks aren't in a neat little pile. Uh, they're spread all over the yard. They're spread all over the neighborhood. They're, they're spread da da down the road. Um, so it, it actually impedes your ability to build the house or to build the capability or to get the information that you, that you require. So I think, again, it is very easy to, to, to ignore that. Uh, let me talk maybe through two examples um, that were very interesting to me um, and kind of just highlight how easy it is to ignore data. One was I was working on a system to actually develop uh, marketing clouds uh, for, 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 for our business. And in this particular business, we wanted to develop multiple marketing clouds. So it was, it was uh, on behalf of, of what we call a, a base shop. Mm. And uh, one of the things you need when you're developing a marketing cloud is you need a client's email address. Mm. But in this company, what had happened is over the years, uh, we had many systems that, uh, you know, the intent of those systems was to gather client information. And what had happened is over the years, all of those systems had client email input screens. So when it came time for me to say, okay, we're going to use the client email address, uh, the, the, the response was, well, which one? I'm going, oh, we've got more than one. And the answer was, yeah, we've got many client email addresses. So you could imagine the consternation, me thinking, how hard can it be to get a client email address? And then actually realizing we have multiple of them. So, so in that particular case, we actually had to come up with an algorithm um, that said, if you're in this system and you're in this system and it's the same, let's use that one. Or alternatively, if you're in this one and this one and not in this one, but I see you over here. We, so that algorithm took us actually months to put together so that we could we could solve that problem and actually use the correct client address. And and while it's focused around customer, Isaac, the reality is that analogy works across a, a myriad of, of data types within an organ, organization. Um, so that was one of the ones that gave me a couple of, of gray hairs. Um, the other one was more related to uh, some uh, regulatory requirements that we had, and we were forced to pull some data out of our system. And the same mentality uh, kicks in again. How hard can this be? And uh, ironically, it, it, it really fell back into that ETL process that you discussed in your first book. Mm. But it's extraction, transformation, and then loading into the destination uh, system. Everybody thinks that process is easy. But in this particular example, the transformation required inputs that we didn't have in our data. So e even the idea of grabbing data out and maybe modifying it, appending the data, enriching the data with third-party sources, sometimes you just don't have it there, there, there to be able to, to, to do that. So that became another hard problem. And guess what we had to do again? We had to create a proxy, um, which was basically an algorithm that said for that piece of data that isn't giving us the output that we require, this algorithm will fill in the blanks. And uh, we actually got it to within 1% of the answer we, we needed. So Isaac, right now in my journey, I say that there are very few easy data problems, but there's lots of complex data problems, but they are all solvable as long as you don't jump too quickly. You've got to take the time to ponder what you're trying to achieve, have a look at the, the assets you have, the building blocks that you have, the bricks that, that, that you have. Um, and uh, if you give yourself that that leeway and some of that time, the, the solutions do, do materialize. And I'll talk a little bit about that, uh, you know, if, if we get a chance through this podcast. Uh, Dale, it's a great answer. And actually, my favorite part of your answer is that somebody in your organization is going to think and say, well, how hard can that be? 
right? It seems like such an easy problem, but I know when you go back to the email example, you know, I have a star CIO email address. I have a Gmail email address. And then underneath that, I have about two dozen different aliases, <laughs> exactly. uh, right? For different purposes and for different needs. And now you're a marketer, you're trying to reach me. You send something to the wrong email address, it's getting buried in a folder that I'm never going to see, right? Um, you send it to the right email address and I'm probably going to have it at the top and probably have a look at it. And then I have, you know, entire mailboxes that I don't even look at anymore. Yeah. Right. And so go ahead. And I was going to say, and I was like, and, and while it, some people might be listening to this and go, well, you know, ours is better. Even if you just get a handful of those email addresses wrong, or even worse, you send it to multiple email addresses. It's, it's particularly in CRM. You want it to feel very personal. Hey, Isaac, you know, happy birthday. Hey, hey Isaac. So, so, you know, it, it's coming up on the anniversary of, of pick your favorite contract. If, if you're doing that to, you know, 15 different email accounts and the person knows that, you've removed that personal connection. And that's really what we're trying to create with CRM and, and with marketing automation is we're trying to make it feel like there's a human being who's connecting with another human being to try and make that human being's laugh better. So uh, your, your example is, is spot on. Yeah. So yeah, let's jump into CRM a little bit. You're, again, one of the major experts uh, having managed a CRM team. I've managed CRM teams before. And, but we've been doing CRM for two decades, right? And so, you know, the CFO, the CMO thinks, you know, I have my CRM. It's like the ERP for, for working with customers. It has everything in it. It has all the data in it. Why is this stuff so hard? So let's talk about CRM from the perspective of attracting customers, retaining them, growing, uh, you know, growing and penetrating new markets, things like that. What, what have we, what, what's missing here? Why has this been so hard over the last two decades? Yeah. Why are we still talking about it? Yeah, and I think we'll be talking about it forever. If, if, you, look <laughs> at the, if you look at the MarTech space, the marketing technology space, mm. uh, last time I looked, there were 7,000 companies out there. Oh, it's more. He has more. <laughs> it is, it's insane. It's insane. So you're going, what do one have that, that, that the other don't have? Um, for me, I like to think in terms of in terms of, of of models, and I guess this is where you got me at a disadvantage, Isaac, because you know me so well. So you know all the buttons buttons to push. Um, but I've been involved in migrations from legacy systems into brand new kind of you know top tier CRMs, um, and, and and they're difficult for all the reasons that we kind of outlined a little a, a little bit earlier. Um, I've also been involved in greenfield where we've been able to build something uh, from from the ground up. So I'll talk about some of the things. On the on the migration but it, it's vision matters mm -hmm. you have to bring a voice to the vision um and, and that's sometimes difficult because the vision of crm is sometimes a little a little bit nebulous mm -hmm. uh, data matters you have to have access to your data so uh when i talk about data again i, I use it back to the reference of, of, of building blocks of a house data not only informs your decision making engine whatever engine you use to, to, to make decisions but data is also a capability that you use when you when you build new new applications. So, so CRMs have generally been these, you know, intensive Salesforce has to capture lots of data. You've got to figure out how, how you minimize that. And data can help by providing, I'm going to use a, a phrase from industry, a next best action. Data can help us uh, really automate and leapfrog things that a human used to used to do if, if we use it appropriately and if we don't just try and go for the prize of oh i installed the system that should never be the goal of a cio i know it is but it should be how does that system deliver the maximum value because the value will be remembered long after the missed deadline is, is is forgotten um principles matter and so what i mean by principles 
I'll give you one example. Uh, in, in one of the CRM implementations we did, um, the principle we used was two clicks. If, if my uh, agent uh, or my rep can't enable a campaign in two clicks for his client base, bearing in mind, I've got all of his client's data, so I know who, who's having a birthday, et cetera, then that's not good enough. So we focused a lot on the principle of it needed to be super, super user-friendly for our sales force. And when you look at the research, you'll see lots of people say the reason that a lot of CRMs fail is because it puts too much, uh, you know, uh, too much work on, 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 onto the sales guy. So that those principles there. Another principle was there should never be more data on the screen that can fit on a, you know, uh, what do you call it, Hor hor horizontal uh, uh, mo mo mobile phone. Mm. which meant that we had to design those screens really, really carefully to be able to click through it and get the additional uh, data. Um, we also had to fight, and this happens everywhere in IT at the moment. Mm. I'm migrating from one system to the other. The first inclination is just to copy what you have and put it in the new, and you got to blow that puppy up. It doesn't, it, it doesn't uh, accelerate your timeline, that's for sure, but, but just taking what was old and migrating it to the new, you're, you're losing a lot of fidelity and a lot of opportunities to do some, something something better. And change management comes into these conversations all, all, all the time. Um, on some of the newer stuff that I've done, um, I, I, there was one model we put together, and I wish I had the slide with me here at home, but it was selecting, it was kind of a model that said, I've got to have the right contact. So who, who am I talking to? I've got to have the right content for that con uh, for that contact. I've got to have the right context. So, so why am I reaching out with that content to that contact? Am I going through the right channel? I mean, maybe this person responds better to text messages or to a social media post or to an email or maybe even a phone call, you know, pu pushing an agent to say, hey, it's time for you to phone this person because that's their preferred method or actually send them a postcard. So it's the right contact, the right context, uh, the right content through the right channel and then having the right controls in place. Dale, you're sounding like a CMO right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, but, but again, I think IT is not about technical vanity and building cool stuff, although I love that part of IT. It's about being an asset to our business. And too often, IT are the order takers, um, and that's the wrong place to be because you've got a lot of engineering horsepower in there. Um, the, the last one I'll, I'll mention, and it doesn't really fit into my, my C method, but it, it's it's closing the loop. So too often we create these programs that engage the audience or engage clients, but we don't close the loop and say, well, what did that just give me? You know, what was the value of that campaign that I just sent out now? So we talk about click rates and open rates and, and drop-offs and all of those things, but it's really about, I sent a campaign out to engage with somebody to have them do a specific action. Can I look at my system two, three, four weeks later, did that action prove valuable? And what was the value of that action? Isaac, if we start building that into our CRM solutions, well, the MarTech are, are really in tune with what drives business growth or what drives profitability, um, they'll, they'll, be, they'll be nothing stopping them. Um, absolutely nothing stopping them. I'm laughing because I had two conversations with other CIOs over the last couple of days, completely different contacts. And one of them, we were talking about how bad it is to do a cloud migration lift and shift. You take <laughs> all the problems in your old system, bring it to the new system like it's magically going to be better, different, more impactful for your business if you're in a different system, but doing the same thing. That doesn't work. And then, you know, the big problem I see in the CRM is they typically have brought, been brought up 
through that light or no governance phase. So everybody has to have their field um, in the contact record, in the deal record, in the account record. You have four or five different lines of business over 15 years, different people come and go. All of a sudden you have a form that has 75 fields in it with no data quality against it. Uh, it, it, it okay? Exactly. Right. And uh, go ahead. No, I was going to tell you another analogy. So uh, in, in one of the jobs I was in, um, I asked to take over IT finance because I, I believe if you have a good handle on IT finance, it helps you foster the right relationships with other leaders um, in, in the organization. And uh, what happened was there was uh, they had a data problem. Uh, everything was managed on large Excel spreadsheets and it was just <laughs> all over the place. So, so the, the, the impact of that for me was I wasn't able to answer uh questions very, very simply. It was actually very difficult for me to even get the answers to very basic basic questions. So I'll draw the, the correlate to that. Uh, we implemented one of the leading IT finance management uh, platforms. And uh, the individual that implemented it for me was an expert in uh, IT finance. The result, going from weeks to get an answer, to sometimes I get answers within minutes to complex questions about how are we spending money? What is our unit cost of X? What is our unit cost of Y? What is the difference if I move this load from on-prem to the cloud? And, and while that sounds like, oh, it's a strong finance guy, no, it was actually just having the data available to ask those questions. Because I like to get lots of impressions before I form an opinion. But if just to get one impression takes you three days, Guess what? You don't have many inputs to make the decisions you need to make. So, uh, j just what, one example of of how to, taking stuff out of you know unmanaged Excel and thoughtfully thoughtfully executing that in a well articulated or well put together finance management system has changed my decision making ability uh, at least on the finance side. Yeah, um, you know, you're bringing in a whole new dimension to this discussion around how much more real time our decisions have to make and how how many more decisions we're making, but also the fact that we're dealing with multiples of systems, right? You know, um, all the activity that our customers are doing are not just happening in the CRM or in our customer support system or in our web systems or in the 100 marketing systems that you're using. They're happening yeah. in a lot of different places. They're happening more in real time. I don't want to wait and make a decision today on data that's one or two weeks old. That doesn't work for me. I don't want to work on it when there's known data quality issues. I want to be able to put better data quality in. Um, but there's one aspect of this that you have a really unique perspective on, and that's this notion of a customer, right? And a customer in some businesses, you know, in retail, it's the person coming in to buy something in my store or my website. But you've worked in some very complex value chain marketplaces with lots of different people that you can call customer, that you're collecting data on, that you're providing services to. So give us a flavor of what that looks like. Yeah. So, so it's, it's funny. I, I actually view uh, everybody that isn't in IT. Actually, I even view some of the people within IT of, of being my, my customers. And that's really my, my, my human capital management side is mm -hmm. how, how can I help my, my peers and teammates go out and kind of replicate uh, what I'm doing? But, but you know, coming back specifically to the question, um, in, in all of the environments that I've been in, one of the biggest challenges the organizations have had is, you know, who, who, who is the customer and, and what do I need to know about that customer so that I can have the absolute best engagement with that customer that I can. 
and we have this concept of customer master data, mm -hmm. but but that's only one aspect of it. Um, I, I used a phrase a little bit earlier about next best action, and, and that's something that I'm currently very passionate about because I do believe we can use some of the data tools, whether it's you know uh, AI or ML regression, etc. You know, pick your favorite vernacular around artificial intelligence. But if we have a good understanding of what our customer is, and we understand, and you use the phrase that I, that I love, the interactions that that person has had, whether it's within our ecosystem or outside of our ecosystem, that we can buy through various means. There's a lot of data aggregators out there that you can buy. What has this person been up to? You know, notwithstanding the privacy laws, but if you can marry who that person is and what about them you need to know with those external datas you're able to start doing the magic of being able to talk to that person in a way that goes kind of back to my to my C's, the right context at the right channel at the right time with the right message. And that will drive up the uh, engagement and that will then make that customer more sticky. And, you know, sometimes it isn't just about making a sale. It's about just building a stronger relationship with that with that individual. Um, even simple things um, like being able to identify a birthday and having the system send out a personalized email. Hey, Isaac, happy birthday. I haven't seen you in a while. All of those things can be generated through data, uh, enriching that data and the use of some of these uh, model, modern tools. And it goes all the way from that simple example all the way to kind of some of the examples and actually sadly not all of them are from the us but but where you're able to use the system to recommend the next best interaction so so i've i've done this with you what's the next best thing i can do because there's probably a thousand things that i could do with a client but the system's getting to the level now where it's able to start suggesting hey, the next best interaction with this person might be this or, or, or it might be that i, I just want to I, I want to pause yeah, here because you're giving everybody an incredible hint on how to think about these systems, right? When you say the next best interaction, right? Yeah. Now we're thinking like a machine learning approach. Yeah, that's a problem, great point. Right? Yeah. You know, and, and, you know, we tend to think heuristically, like we can come up with what that next action is, but you're bringing in, there's a ton of data out there. There's a ton of context when you're talking to in an individual customer. I might be a customer, but I also may be a supplier. I might be an influencer, right? I might, you know, in, in different situations, I'm playing different roles out, but I'm still the same physical person. And, um, you know, so that when you think about your, your writing an algorithm, what's the next thing that should show up on the screen? You're a customer service rep. What's the next question that you should be asking someone? You're a sales rep, right? I have certain things that I bought with you. I have certain things that I haven't bought with you. What's the context that might allow you to say, look, you got one shot at selling me something new. Yeah, right? I, I think I love the fact that, that, that I'll take three minutes what you can explain in 15 <laughs> seconds, which is your which is your secret skill. <laughs> I want to add one more lens on top of that. And, and again, you're probably going to accuse me of being more of a CMO. <laughs> but, but but on all of these journeys, what we what we've tried to do is instill what's the value of that interaction. Um, and I can't go into details, but 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 in in prior uh, organizations, what we've done is with there are 52 transactions we do or interactions we do with a, a client. Uh, one of those interactions, um, anyway, one of those interactions might be a stepping stone interaction. So once you get the first piece, you can get the second piece. M maybe converting a, a, a prospect to a lead or a lead to a prospect, depending on your favorite vernacular. Um, understanding how much that is worth is one of the bigger inputs into your, into your engine. Because there's some transactions that might be worth a dollar. 
There are other transactions that might be worth $10,000. So in that engine where the AI is saying, what's the next best thing for me to do with that person? The profitability of that role, uh, of that of that interaction is really, really important. And it's actually something that I've brought with me along, along my career. I want to touch on one other thing quickly, and I, I know we, we've only got limited time, mm -hmm. but on this journey, I was also looking at uh, this concept that you know people expunge, which is, oh, we've got tons of data, it must be valuable, and I, and I think that's I think that's flawed. Okay. I think within organisations today, there is a lot of data, but but there is these kind of strategic data assets that that people need to get their arms around. And, and I actually wrote a, a LinkedIn article about it because I was so passionate about it. Mm. It's not all your data. There's just pockets of that data. When you append it, when you merge it with other data, it starts to push you in the right direction. So, so data can help you do analytics. It can help you do uh, build better applications because all the bricks are there and available for the users to use. But there's kind of this third piece where it could start guarding you to what your next big business opportunity is going to be. I'll give you two very quick examples. Uh, Red Reef Inn uh, did some work on mm. analytics using uh, flight patterns and weather patterns to figure out when uh, uh, passengers may be stranded. And they mm. used that in their marketing and they increased their occupancy by about 12%. Uh, another famous example, mm. uh, UPS. Mm. Uh, some guy was sitting there going, man, I'm sitting so long you know, at this traffic light right now. Wait, if I go right, maybe, maybe I can get around quicker. So, so they appended their logistics system, their, their, their route uh, management system uh, with their delivery, and they created this, this asset, which you know, took thousands of tons of carbon out of the air, allowed them to uh, you know, deliver packages more, more quickly. And that was a really good idea of somebody smart sitting down, pondering and going, wow, these are strategic data assets. How do I use them a, a little, little bit better? So I, look, I think it goes back to what you said earlier of having really good vision you know, focusing on problems that really matter, right? It's one of the things I talk to data scientists all the time. There's more problems that we can apply our data to. You're, you're spending your time in the right area because we know, you know, there's a it's layered, right? Once we solve one problem, it leads to 10 more questions. Exactly. And, you know, you're kind of like describing, for those of you who don't know how neural networks work, you know, you're going to decide feature vectors up front, right? And you're talking about, you know, which of my data is most important for us to use in those feature vectors? Because I, if I throw it, you know, a thousand parameters, well, Google can do that, but maybe Isaac can't do that. I don't have a big enough machine, big enough budget to throw at it a thousand variables. And which of the decisions are we going to weight higher, right? Exactly. Which are giving it, giving me the right formula to think about it. But I want to get to one thing in the middle. I think our audience would kill me if I didn't ask a chief information technology officer about technology. Uh -oh. How does, okay. okay. So I want to make sure we get into this question of like, you know, technology, what are you using? You know, what architectures and technologies are in customer data in particular? Give yeah. me a sense, you know, using data lakes, using data mart. So you, ah, you know, planetary you databases, where are you going? You know, yeah. search well, engines, well, uh, you stole my thunder a little bit there. Yeah. So we're, we're just following that typical path. Um, and that's kind of what, I, what I've always done. Um, I, I will just comment. Um, you get stuck in this conundrum where you go, do I fix everything that I see that's not working appropriately? Or do I find a way to wrap and renew? I.e. do something new that eventually envelops the old. Um, so so we, 
have always invested in the concept behind a data lake, a data mart, depending on how a data puddle, if you want to just dump your data somewhere and, and make it all, all, all messy. So all of those apply, anybody, anybody can Google those. What I found to be our secret source here is a, a new technology. It's not really a new technology, but it's, it's, it's a virtualization technology. So, so imagine a, a, an organization that has you know, many data sets all over the place, many disparate. Uh, it's, it's been designed over time, so your referential integrity is not there. The data is not normalized, i.e. It, it doesn't link up nicely. To try and go and fix all of that, while there are applications interacting with that data, there are reports being run off that data, it is incredibly difficult. So, so we use a concept called data virtualization, and it is a, another platform, and that's part of my strategy is to implement platforms, is a platform that goes on top of it. And the best description is it kind of shines a flashlight on all of that data. Once you've got the data in the virtualization platform, then the, the kind of legacy data stays there, it carries on feeding the systems it needs to feed, but the data virtualization becomes your new source for uh, data for analytics, data for applications, data for just running ad, ad hoc queries. And the beauty of that is it abstracts away all that hideousness, which is sitting within IT, that IT do a very good job of managing. And it creates, um, I use the word baskets, it's the simplest way to, for me to explain it to my kids, but baskets of customer data, of product data, of transactional data. And my strategy has been to make that layer available for business consumers. So I, I want to do the technology side of things, I want to make the data available, but I want the business to be able to interact with that data in a very easy way to get clean, scrubbed and described data. And we'll talk about that in a little bit in, in a moment. So, so data marts, data lakes, absolutely behind the scene. Data virtualization sits on top of that. And as projects are demanding data, we're using that project as the pull to create the next basket of data. So, so I mentioned earlier, client was one of them. So we have a clean client uh, basket of client data, which can then be consumed by anybody. We even use it for APIs, um, to back, back to my example of using, using it for data. And then on top of that, we're trying to standardize on uh, you know, a fairly common brand uh, that has a, uh, a dashboarding uh, tool. Um, and uh, that seems to be working really, really well. But the secret source in all of that was that middle virtualization layer. Because without that, you can't create the pull from the business. You can't help them bringing voice to the vision. Hey guys, we said we we're gonna make it easier for you to get data out of our system. And then all of a sudden they see this web page and it's got these these baskets that are describing data that they need every single day. But now they don't have to write an SQL query. They don't have to have subject matter expertise because all of that data is described. And so I'm gonna go just say one more thing about data virtualization. Mm -hmm. Imagine bringing a partner in, um, you, you're trying to maybe offshore some work or get some lower cost work done. It's very difficult today, especially in complex environments and organizations to do that because you have to have this SME knowledge. Where is the data? What does this mean? Data virtualization by warrant of putting those baskets together then also means it's easier for me to bring external people in. I, I can ramp up new employees far more quickly when I go, here's all our client data, here's all our contract data, here's all our... So, so it makes everything better. It isn't measured in months though, Isaac. That's the challenge. It's measured in, in, in years. It takes years to get this institutionalized and operationalized. But again, the goal, the goal is worth it because you're, you're, you're speeding up your organization with every new project, with every new bit of work you're doing. You're increasing the velocity of getting new capabilities out to our business, which is ultimately what they what, what they want from us. Yeah, uh, you know what I like about what you're describing here is this notion of a flashlight. You know, um, 
I, I sometimes joke that CIOs used to know more about the box that stored the data than what the data was inside of it. <laughs> Very and, true. And, and I think that's changed a lot over the last few years. But, you know, um, in every organization, there's a few people who are the subject matter experts around their data sets. And, and the reality is we need a lot more people. If it's 100 people, it's 1,000 people next year. It's 10,000 people after that. You know, being versatile to work with our data, we have to do it more real time. It's not just our employees or it's our contractors. And so now I got policies to put in place around that. Um, I don't want to have to rebuild the same basket five times, five different exactly. ways. Yeah. Right. And do you know how often that happens, Isaac? I mean, I, you know, in my career, it's yeah, the crazy debt, thing. It's data yeah. debt and everybody has their like secret sauce to write a SQL query and has their secret tool to put it in there. And you're saying, well, you know, how do we get away from this? Because we're going to be doing, using our data for the next 10 years in different ways. Uh, give me, give me a sense of talent around this, right? You have yeah. folks, uh, you know, it's not like data is a new story here. And it's not like you can just go and hire people with TensorFlow talent yeah. tomorrow. So what's your secret sauce around data? And then we'll do one wrap up question. Yeah, I, I, I don't know if I've necessarily got a secret sauce, but I, I will give you my philosophy. I, I wanted to share one, uh, one comment that a prior CIO <laughs> that I worked for made. And, and she said, knowledge is power shared knowledge is even more powerful. And mm -hmm. I, I've loved that phrase. So, so making more of our data available in a consumable way for our business is absolutely the, the right thing to do. But let me talk about talent. So so right now, Isaac, it's it's a, it's a great time to talk about talent and, and those things. So really, my, my primary goal is retention. Um, yeah, I have so many incredibly talented individuals. Um, I, I don't want to lose them. And with remote working, there's a lot of pressure on opportunities, even outside of Atlanta. So we've back to my model. We've developed a model. And uh, the first part of the model, and I'm, I'm stealing from CRM. So it's the four Ps. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, and the first P is pay. You know, are, are we really looking after that person? You know, are they at a market related comp, comp level, all things considered? And to be honest, I think that's that's probably lower on, on my model. The second one is purpose. Does this person feel like they're working for a company that gives them purpose? Um, and I'm fortunate, you know, with within the supply chain arena, I was with a company that was really concerned about the environment. Um, in financial services, I'm with a company that, that's really concerned about helping uh, American families become financially independent. So I've been blessed with, with a purposeful career. Mm -hmm. um, but that pays right. They're at a company that's got purpose. The next one is their passion. And this is where the data side of it comes in. I, mm. I've got some data architects. And if I give them an SOW to write or something to do that isn't related to their data arc, they go, oh, well, you know, I'm not sure if you're using me appropriately. Mm. So, so we try and make sure that uh, within the skills that we have, particularly around data analytics, data engineering, data science, that we're using those people uh, appropriately and letting them live their passion. And, and the last P, just to close it out, is around preferences. Um, if I've got a data engineer and he lives in, you know, Chicago and he wants to stay in Chicago, thankfully these days we can, we can do that. And that, or if he wants to start work an hour later and, and work a little bit later in the evening. So we're also trying to meet people's preferences. And I'm, I'm hoping through those four P's, I can not only retain, but when I share that with recruits, I can also recruit people and say, wow, this is a company that seems to have their act together. You know, they want to pay me fairly. They're going to leverage my passions, what I want to do. They're going to let me live my pre preferences. 
And by the way, they've got a really cool mission uh, in, in terms of society. That's an incredible answer. And Dale, what I love about it is when I throw that question out at a lot of folks, I get the gripes about how hard it is to hire people or, yeah. you know, I can't find cloud. I can't find security. I can't find, you know, a digital marketer, you know, all the top skill sets come off the list. And I'm like, well, what are you doing internally? Right. You got talent there. Um, you're always, uh, you know, challenged to retain that talent under all kinds of circumstances. You're always challenged to make sure they like what they're working on and they're always stretching um, their capabilities so that they're always learning and you, you got it covered in all four piece, but uh, good I'll, stuff. I'll add one more thing to it. And that's uh, learning and development. So we launched a, uh, we call it uh, an advanced learning program. And uh, that was part of a recruit from within strategy that I had, because we're always posting new jobs. And there's people inside that was just, you know, you know, a few months training or a certificate or a couple of certificates, they could apply for those jobs that have been posted at, so the whole recruit from within spawned a, a learning program, multiple channels, security, cloud, all the things you mentioned, APIs, back end for front end, but we're trying to target it so that they qualify for jobs that we're posting uh, externally. And, and and that's getting a little bit more sticky right now as well. So I think you hit the nail on the head. You know, Dale, you're a CMO, a, a chief technology officer, an analytics and ML background, and now you're going into HR territory. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> hey, chief, that's what makes learning. great companies great, is yep. great people. Um, and um, uh, it's actually one, one of my pillars in my current strategy is getting closer to the business, uh, planning and executing flawlessly. The third pillar is, is managing our costs appropriately. And the fourth one is pushing people up. Let, let, let's, let, let's invest in our people. Um, I'm gonna, so, I'm, yeah. gonna, I'm gonna have you do my uh, digital trailblazer keynotes because you've got all the right recipes in there. I have one last question for us. Um, you've been great, a lot of really good insights here, but I've been asking the same question to all of the guests of customer data perspectives. Okay. What, what do you want as an easy button, right? You talked about all the nuances of some of the hard things, some of the things that we all have to do around talent, um, all the you know, technologies that you're putting in place. Uh, but you're the expert, so you know, give a shout out to our vendors and our suppliers and who are, we're getting technology from. Where do you need an easy button in the next couple of years? What should be? Yeah, uh, so I, I'm going to argue that I found one of the easy buttons with a virtualization platform, but I'm going to take your lead there in terms of vendors and suppliers. Um, the easy button for me with onboarding a vendor or a supplier is somebody that doesn't just show me the PowerPoint but actually I'm willing to invest in understanding your environment. So it's not my easy button, but if, if, if you're a vendor or if you're a supplier, you think you've got some secret source, what, what I've shared with you today has kind of piqued your interest, then my easy button to push to, to, to come in and help me on my journey is, is understand my problem. And I find it so funny that so many times people will throw these solutions at me and expect me to find the problem. I'm going, hey, man, I, I've been in five companies in my career. You guys see a lot more. You come in and tell me what you've seen and what you can do to, to, to help me make this place better. Um, so I think even there, uh, Isaac, you know, vendors and partners that have that mindset of let me understand, seek to understand before I put a solution in place, they can be my easy button to make things better. No, that's a great answer to the 9,000 uh, logos on the MarTech landscapes. <laughs> exactly. Right. Know, know the customer problem and then pre present the solution. Dale, this has been awesome. 
Uh, thank you for being a part of the customer data perspectives. A lot of really good insights here. And, uh, you know, I can't wait to break bread and have a beer with you again soon. No, absolutely, Isaac. And uh, I just want to thank you for all the support you've given me over, over the years. Uh, your big books have been fantastic in shaping my thinking as well. And, uh, you know, would love to have a follow-up uh, and, and share with you how we've made progress along, along this journey. But uh, thank you for having me. Absolutely. Thanks again, everybody, for joining us for Customer Data Perspectives. And I can't wait to see you in the next episode. Have a great day.